sermon text this morning is found in Revelation chapter 3, and it is the word to the church in Philadelphia. It's verses 7 to 13. So if you'll please stand out of reverence for God's word, and please listen carefully as God is addressing us in his word this morning. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Please be seated. And now, before we go into God's Word this morning, please join me in prayer as we pray for the Lord's blessing on the preaching of His Word. Our Heavenly Father, holy and true are You, and holy and true is Your Word. And we pray this morning that You would be with me as I proclaim it, that every word that leaves my mouth would be faithful to Your Word that you would be with me as I preach by the power of your Spirit, that I would not rest in my own strength, but that I would rest solely in the power of you, our God, and that you would use your very word, your own word, to open up the hearts of all who hear this morning, that you would give us grace to see the goodness and the glory of Christ, to see his tenderheartedness towards us who are sinners, that we would come to love him with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength by the power that you supply us, that he would become our greatest treasure, that all of the things of this world would fade away, and that we would love him and see him as we should. We pray this so that he would be glorified in our hearts, in our lives, in our speech, and in our actions as you send us out once again into the world this week, even as you send us out into a new year. I pray all of these things in Christ's most precious name. Amen. 
Well, um, if you're anything like me, maybe you're not. I, I might be a little bit strange in this, um, and I might even be a little bit uh, offensive, but it's uh, not something that I think will be too offensive. When I drive around, I see um, a lot of buildings that, uh, that I struggle with, that, that, that offend me aesthetically. Um, living in North Texas, um, there, there's not much permanence. You, you probably see this, especially in a place like Prosper. Everywhere you go, there's something new being built, but as you see it being built, right, you can see the guts of it. You can see that it's not something that lasts. It's just a building goes up, and then 10 years, 20 years later, it's got to come back down because uh, it's not meant to last. We don't have much around us here that is built to last. And for me, that's somewhat painful. Um, I, I think I've even, unfortunately, created some architectural snobs in my family um, who uh, drive around with us in the car and they look at the buildings and we, we, we often have the uh, chorus from the back seat, hideous, <laughs> hideous, <laughs> hideous. Um, so I, I think I might have created some monsters. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's not a, a moral issue necessarily, uh, but it does uh, create this general sense in my, my heart as I drive around that we just have very little that is permanent. Very little to stand upon, even just in the, in the world that we live on, live in. And, and that's, of course, true in a more ultimate sense as we look around us uh, in this world, that the things of this world are not ultimate. Uh, even the most beautiful, even the most glorious things of this world. Um, in our text this morning, we see something that is good and true and lasting. We actually have a story in this text. I don't know if you, if you noticed that, but there's, there's a, a story. There's a narrative here. And that's why I've entitled this sermon, Pilgrims on the Way. We begin with an open door, and there is a path that we must follow once we have walked through that door. It is a perilous path. There are many dangers in the Christian life that we face as we walk on this path of loving Christ and of serving Him. But there's also held out for us in our text this glorious vision of the end, the day in which we will be in the new heavens and the new earth. In fact, we will be made pillars in the temple of God. So that's why I've begun to, to talk about what we see around us, what seems to be so impermanent. Because the end for us is permanent. It's something that is true and lasting and stable. It's being made a pillar in the temple of God. I even thought that this is a, a great text. I didn't plan it in this way, but it's a great text to begin the new year even. Because uh, I think all of us, as we start a new year, we have that sense of a new beginning. We have that sense even of a new path to walk. It's a, it's a new year. It's a new beginning. And, and we know that we're going to be walking through uh, many dangers, many struggles this year. And we, we have that sense of, of the goal being the end of the year. Uh, well, all the more, if I could get us to, to lift our hearts and our minds up to that last day when we will see Christ face to face and, and all these troubles will pass away. Uh, when we will have this eternal joy, eternal stability, we will be made a pillar in the temple of God. And so I want to walk with you through this story, through this path for pilgrims who are on the way to that glorious day, beginning with the open door. 
which uh, then leads us to the path to heaven, and then finally the city, the city of God, the heavenly city on that last day. So we have heaven's door, heaven's path, and then finally heaven's city. That will be our, our three points this morning. Well, we've, we've jumped right into the middle of the book of Revelation. Of course, we need to have a little bit of context to understand where we are. These are words that are written to seven churches in Asia Minor, Turkey today. These were real churches in the day of the Apostle John. And John has been given this glorious and even strange vision um, from the Lord. The Lord has given it to him through Jesus Christ, who then has sent an angel to John And this angel shows John a series of visions. Uh, And these visions are visions that are meant to shape us as believers, to show us what it's like to live life in this age. You know, we can think of Revelation so often as being just only about the end, right? About what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. And there's a lot of that in Revelation. But Revelation has so much more than just that. It's a letter for Christians who are on this path to heaven. It it is meant to shape our lives now. It's not just about then. It's about now and how we uh, trust in the Lord and we follow after him in this world. And so there were these seven churches, seven being the number of completion. This represents all of the churches. These seven churches have a distinctive word to them from the Lord Jesus Christ. You might not even notice this if you're, if you're reading in the English Standard Version. Um, it says it's a word from Christ. You see this um, in verse 7. The words of the Holy One, the True One, that's Jesus Christ. Well, it, it's actually literally, uh, it, it's very awkward to get this into English, which is why they don't do that. It would be this. It would be the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens, says to you, is saying to you, Jesus is speaking these words to his churches. I find that to be such a a comfort in itself, to remember that these words are words that come from Christ, words that Christ speaks to his people who are struggling, uh, words that Christ speaks to his people who need a word of hope. And this is the word of hope that he gives to this specific church in Philadelphia. All of these words that he gives to the seven churches, they're different. Each church is going through its own struggle. And it's so wonderful for us to be able to see the kinds of things that God's people face throughout the ages. There really is nothing new under the sun. The church in Philadelphia was one of the churches that was faithfully serving the Lord. Some of these churches were really struggling. Uh, they, they, were, they were very close to falling away from their Lord. Uh, that's not the case with Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a church that is weak but faithful. They are clinging to their Lord, and yet they're finding it hard. They have little power, little strength, and yet they still cling to Christ by faith. And, and, and perhaps that is you this morning. You find that you love the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're struggling. You're finding everything that we're facing in life over this last year um, and, and even things that maybe aren't related to coronavirus and, and all of the turmoil in our nation, just those, own, those, those things that you are facing as individuals, whether it be sickness, uh, whether it be uh, job loss, uh, whether it be uh, struggles within your family, um, you know, any of those things um, that can cause you to feel weak and weary, 
um, to feel that you are just almost at the very edge of your, your strength and that you, you're finding it hard uh, to, to keep going, to keep looking to Christ. Well, this is a word for you. This is a word from Christ to you this morning to encourage you, to strengthen you, to lift up your heart, to look to him once again. And it begins with this word of the open door. Jesus Christ is the one who opens the door to heaven. Now, this is not a text about evangelism here. Now, this is not a text about how you become a Christian. This is a, a word for people who are already believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's speaking to those, um, he says, who um, he knows have little power, but have kept my word, verse 8, and have not denied my name. This open door, it's, it's the language of Isaiah. This actually takes us back to the prophet Isaiah. And, and the language of the open door and the language of the key of David, in particular, that's where we, we go back to Isaiah, Isaiah 22, uh, verse 22. This language of the key of David, what does that mean, the, the key of David? Well, it's the key into the kingdom of Jerusalem in Isaiah. It was given to the king, the Davidic king. So it was a way of showing, you know, we do this sometimes today, maybe not as much as we used to, uh, where someone is given the key to the city. Uh, you know, you, you probably see that in, in older um, literature and things like that, uh, where someone, they've done something wonderful for a city, and they give them a, a symbolic key to the city. Well, that was a key that was given to the Davidic king in, in Isaiah's day to show that he had royal power, royal dominion, that he was the leader. He was the one who would shepherd God's people in his kingdom. And Christ, Christ is the one who has the key of David. He is the one who has the key to eternal life. He opens up eternal life for his people, and no one can shut it. No one can do anything to separate us from the love of Christ. Because Christ sovereignly has opened that key by dying on the cross, by shedding his own blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He opens and no one can shut. But he knows that the church in Philadelphia, and I, I'm certain for many of you here, he knows that we often go through these days and these times where we really feel the force of the fact that we have such little power keep clinging to Christ by faith, struggling, weak, weary, uh, finding that there are temptations that we face that feel overwhelming, or there are trials that we're going through where you just think, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it to the next day. How am I going to endure this trial? And, and Jesus says, I know. I know what you're going through. I know how hard it is. And can you, can you feel the, the compassion of Christ there that he knows he's the one who sovereignly puts us in these places. He, he's the one who even puts these trials in our lives. And, it, and it's so hard to remember when we're going through those trials that Christ puts those trials in our lives because he loves us. He doesn't put those trials in our lives. Um, it, it is true that sometimes we, we must be disciplined by the Lord but it is also true that, mi that many of the trials that we go through are there because Christ loves us and he knows that we are still sinful. We still we need to have the, the sin in our heart burned away. And so often it's just simply the case that the only way that can happen 
is by us going through a trial because we are stubborn and we love our sin and we want to hold on to our sin. But Christ loves us too much to let us hold on to that sin. And so he puts sickness in our life even. He puts pain in our, in our lives because he loves us. Not because he despises us. Not because he doesn't care. Not because he's just abandoned us. That's how it feels, doesn't it, so often? You know, I think that's what the, the Philadelphians were feeling. They were feeling, you know, how can, we, how can we make it? Where is the Lord? How long, O oh Lord? And yet, he speaks to them and says, I know. And he knows their works. He knows that they love him. And he has opened this door for them through his death so that nothing can separate us or them from the love of God that we have in Christ. You know, it's not the quality of our faith that saves us. It's not the, the quantity of our faith that saves us. It is Christ who saves us by faith. Uh, Martin Luther would say, faith is simply the open hand that receives what Christ has done for us. It's not because you have a strong faith that you are saved. It's not because you have so much faith that you are saved. What did Jesus say himself in his own uh, earthly ministry? Faith like a grain of mustard seed says to this mountain, be tossed into the sea. Christ supplies us with faith so that we can take a hold of him by faith. It's not because we have strong faith that we're saved. And that's what he's saying here too. I know you have little power. But he also knows that they love him, that they have trusted in him. And so he promises that he will keep them in the midst of this trial. You can see the finish line in this text. You see this story. Uh, the door is open for us. There is a path, and that's going to be our next point, a dangerous path that we must walk. But we can see the finish line, that the temple being made a pillar, seeing Christ face to face, that the finish line is, is visible for us. And Christ is saying, I am going to come alongside of you. I'm going to walk with you in the midst of this, the, the trials that you must face, in the midst of all of this difficulty. I'm going to walk alongside of you, lift you up, by the power of my spirit, strengthen you to continue looking to me. I'm going to supply your every need, he says. And I know you have little power. And I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to lift you up and do what you can't do in your own strength. But it is, as I've said, a perilous path that we must walk. Our second point, heaven's path, verses 9 and 10. We have many dangers on this path to heaven. Many difficulties. One of them that, that is focused on here is those who would, would lie about believers and who would slander them. He speaks of a, a synagogue of Satan, verse 9. They say they are Jews, but they are not. They lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will, know, they will learn that I have loved you. So this is a, a Jewish group that was slandering the believers in Philadelphia. They were slandering them, and as they slandered them, they are working for the chief slanderer. That's what Satan is. Satan is the adversary. That's what, is, that's what the, the word means. Satan is the adversary. He is the accuser of God's 
people. That's what he does. His chief weapon against us is accusation, is slander. He says to us, he says to us uh, often, uh, you don't belong to Christ. You're too sinful to be Christ. Uh, you're too weak to, to make it all the way. Um, Satan is the father of lies. And those who belong to him, they follow his example. And they lie and they slander, just as these Jews were doing with the Christians. That You can imagine what they were saying. We are God's people. You are imposters. We're truly God's people. But they do not trust in Jesus Christ, and so they aren't. And we might not be facing that particular trial these days, but there are plenty of accusations to go around in our world about believers, aren't there? Right? If you trust in Christ, if you follow his word, if you stand upon his word, and you go out into the world and you're confident to do that, you will be slandered. You should expect that. You will be slandered. You will be called all sorts of things. You're a bigot if you truly believe what God's Word says about uh, sexuality, right? And that's the, the, the pressure point in our society. You will be called a bigot. You will be dismissed. You will be mocked. You will be reviled. Um, and it's not just that. We could go through a whole list of things. And that's because Satan loves to try to bring God's people down by encouraging his own children to tell lies about God's people. But Christ here, he says, that these who tell these lies, the tables are going to be turned. There's going to be a reversal. They're going to come and bow down at your feet. And you, you wonder, what does that mean? I mean, are, are those who oppose Christ in this world, are they going to come and bow down before us? Well, this is actually taking us back to Isaiah as well. And it's speaking of the Gentiles coming to Jerusalem, coming to Israel, and bowing down before God's people. But what's really amazing in Isaiah is that the Gentiles are not coming, um, they're not coming in fear. They're not coming even um, as conquered enemies so much as they're coming joyfully. And they're coming because they've, they've come to learn who, who the Lord is and to, to want to worship Him as well at the temple. And so this, this reversal, this is not a text that would send us out into the world and think, well, God's enemies will attack us and, and we have the truth and someday we're going to crush them. Right? Justice will come. The Lord will never overlook justice in this world. And on the last day, if not even in this age, he will show justice. And yet, what's, what's being said here is talking about this great reversal where as we go out confidently into the world, faithfully into the world, people will see that and they will be changed and they will come to worship the Lord. So we actually have this mission to go out into the world and to be confident in Christ. And there are going to be some among those who lie about believers who, who slander them, who are going to be brought by God's grace even to worship him. Well, this is a, this is a trial, certainly. This is one of the many trials that uh, we will face in this world. But Christ here says this is a short trial. He even says uh, in verse 10, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. In the book of Revelation, there are, there are all sorts of numbers. There are huge numbers and there are small numbers like this. This is a small number. 
Um, and, and when you see a number like that, an hour, it's meant to tell us that this is very brief. You know, compare that to a thousand years in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, compare that to three and a half years. All these big numbers um, all throughout the book. And then you read about an hour. That, that's meant to tell us that this is a short trial. This is a short trial. There's a paradox here, though. On the surface, I think it sounds like Jesus is saying to his people, you're not going to even face trial, are you? I'm going to keep you from the trial that is coming on the whole world. Well, I don't see anything in all of the scriptures that ever indicates that believers should expect to be free from trial. What I do see, however, is a great paradox that runs throughout the scriptures. And it's this, is that we will face trials, but Christ will keep us and preserve us in the midst of those trials. Uh, Jesus said, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He loved paradoxes like that. Whoever finds his life, if you seek to live for yourself in this world, you will actually lose your life eternally. But if you are willing to lose your life for the sake of Christ, you will find true life. You will find true blessing. You will find eternal life, Christ says. Paul, he said, uh, speaking of God's grace, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That is the, the, the note we see throughout the scriptures, is that weakness is power. Earthly power is, in fact, nothing. But human weakness, human frailty, being like the, the church in Philadelphia, being weak like this, that's true power. From God, And so I think what's going on here is, is not that Jesus is saying you will never experience the, these kinds of trials. I mean, he's already speaking to them in the midst of trials. But he's saying, I will keep you in the midst of all of this. I will preserve you. I will keep you looking to me. I will give you the strength you need to face these trials. The tables will be turned. There is a great paradox here. But Christ will keep us. How does he do that? Well, finally, we arrive on this path as pilgrims on the way at the heavenly city in verse 11. He does this by lifting our eyes up to heaven, taking our eyes off of the trials that we're facing. I am coming soon. And what a, what a wonderful word in the midst of all that we face as weak Christians. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Seize your crown, the crown of eternal life, so that no one may turn us away from Christ, looking to him by faith and walking after him. No one may seize that crown for us. If we remember that Jesus is coming soon, this trial that you're going through, whatever trial you're facing today, I know that when you're in the midst of that, it feels like it's never going to end. And Christ says, it, it, it's an, an hour. I'm coming soon. In light of eternity, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no more days to sing God's praise than uh, when they first begun. We, eternity, to see Christ, to rest in his love, no more sin. No more sickness, no more sadness, no more trials. They will all pass away 
and we will remember them no more. He says, I'm coming soon. Lift up your eyes to heaven. And remember, I will come and I will rescue you and deliver you from all of these trials. And it will be very soon. I know it doesn't feel like that right now, but it will be. Hold on. Hold fast to what you have. The one who conquers, verse 12. And conquering is simply trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and following him by faith throughout your life. That is what it means to conquer Conquering for those who are weak, who hold fast to Christ by faith, and who follow him faithfully in the world. And he says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own name. If we were to turn to the end of the book of Revelation, we see that there is no temple in the new Jerusalem. There's no temple in the new creation. And the reason for that is because Jesus Christ is the true temple. Jesus Christ is the place where we rest in the presence of God. We see Christ's face beaming at us, full of love for us as, as his people forever. He is the true temple and we are his people. We will be pillars in the temple of God. So I want to encourage you here as we draw to a, uh, to a conclusion, draw to a close, to look to Christ. He is coming soon. He is coming soon. Whatever you're facing, look to him. Hold on to Christ. Even though it seems hard, even though you uh, are struggling, even though you find that you are weak and you have little power, hold on to Christ. Because in that day, when you see him face to face and he wipes away every tear from your eye, all of the, the pain, all of the difficulty will be gone in a moment. And you'll remember it no more. You'll see even how Christ used all of those things for your good. You'll see how he used those because he loves you and because he desires to strengthen you and to burn away those things that are sinful in your hearts so that what remains will be a stronger faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a new name as Christ's people. We have a new identity. We can go back out into the world this year knowing that we are Christ's, confident, serving him. This is the language of priesthood, the, the name of God written on, the, breast, uh, on, the, on the, um, the crown of the priest, holy to the Lord. We can go out into the world and we can share this love of Christ with a dying world, confident, knowing that we are his, that he will come alongside us on this path. He has opened that door through his blood, and he will be with us to the very end until we find rest in him for all eternity. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not forsaken us and abandoned us in the midst of all of our struggles and our trials. I pray that you would please 
Lift up our hearts. Give us renewed hope in Jesus Christ. Give us the strength that we do not have in ourselves by your Spirit to look to him, to follow him, to remember that it is a short time until we will see him face to face. I pray that you would please fill us with joy in believing in him. And I pray these things in Christ's most precious name. Amen.